0: Welcome to the second episode of Next Big Hit, Broadway Bullet, your weekly train to destinations on and off Broadway. We're continuing with our in-depth coverage of the New York Musical Theater Festival. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and we're going to be having interviews and songs from a lot of great shows this episode, including the tragic and horrible life of the singing nun. i Magpie.
2: No one had a clue in Santiago.
0: The man, man in my head. My love's the
3: real thing. My love's the real
0: thing. Cabaret duo, Tasty Skank.
4: I heart dirty boys with no money. Some people think it's
1: funny, but I don't mind.
0: Have a nice life.
1: There are times when I ask myself, why did I look.
0: Monox will also be bringing us a report on the New York Fringe Festival, and we have a couple of the cast members from In Transit to do a skit and an interview from that show. I'd like to remind everybody that the New York Musical Theater Festival will be taking place from September 10th through October 1st. They're producing over 30 original musicals and tons of other events. Besides, you want to get your tickets early so you can head to nymf.org. You can also find more information about all the shows we talk about in here by visiting our website, broadwaybullet.com. Just click on the Volume 2 podcast and it'll take you to a forum where you can find links to Everybody we talk about in this show. We're also starting a new contest called Stump the Staff, where every week all you theater buffs will have a chance to win a $20 gift certificate from the Drama Bookshop. And that is whether you're in New York or anywhere else, they ship anywhere. We'll announce details about that contest and how you can win a little later on in the program. We've got a packed slate for our second episode, so let's not waste any time. With a title like The Tragic and Horrible Life of the Singing Nun, I wasn't expecting three uh, very boisterous guys to come bounding into the studio, but here they are. How whoa, are you guys whoa,
5: doing? Woo! Yeah. Word out.
0: <laughs> so why don't you
6: take a second to introduce yourselves quickly. I'm Andy Monroe. I'm the composer and lyricist. I'm Blair
7: Fell. I'm the book writer with some additional lyrics. And I'm Michael Shirelli, the director. So, Blair, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about the show well the show itself which is based on an old play of mine of the same name. The singing nun was this woman in 1963, she came out with a song called Dominique, which she actually uh, created her Reverend Mother Superior in Belgium's All Saints Day, she composed this song. Phillips record executives got aware of the song, they published a record, it became a huge hit all over the world, becoming number one on the American Billboard charts, and she won a Grammy Award for Best Folk Album that year. Anyway, what happened was she didn't really get along with the people in her convent, she left the convent, And what proceeded was some very, very rough years with her relationship with her old convent and trying to become famous, even though the convent owned her name. And so she had to go out on a different name. The play itself, the musical, The Tragic and Horrible Life of the Singing nun tells this true story, but through this warped, fabulous, fun mirror of an insane man who thinks he was a drag queen nun in her convent. And thus, the singing nun, even though we tell her true story, we put her in a convent with Maria von Trapp from The Sound of Music, The Flying Nun, and Helen Lawson from Valley of the Dolls. So it's this weird, crazy, fun house of a play with unbelievably incredible music by Andy, and but it's also a poignant and very touching story, and the truth about the hypocrisy of the church that really hurt her desperately. Michael, you were just watching... The- yeah, last night I bought a copy of the movie, the 1966
8: film, uh, The Singing Nun, starring Debbie Reynolds, and i an array of other big famous people from the time, and I was amazed because I was reminded how much I loved that movie as a kid, even though it has absolutely no truth in it whatsoever. The whole thing is fabricated. But
7: did you, you did a lot of research when you originally did the first? I did. I actually went to her convent in Belgium and interviewed one of the nuns that was there. Her convent, by the way, is no longer a convent. It's a a retreat for young Christian fundamentalists. It stopped being a convent. But I went to the convent with a friend who spoke French and interviewed this woman who was stone-faced, who was furious I was there interviewing her because there was nothing. Only last year in 2005 has there been anything in English about her other than my play because the world's totally lost sight of this woman who at one time was the Rage. Yeah, I
8: remember her so clearly when I was a kid. I, I mean, that song, moment. Dominique, and, 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 oh, and yeah. then uh, I was you know, raised Catholic, was an altar boy, the whole bit. And that sort of, she prompted the whole folk mass thing. Well, I almost happening. became a nun because of that. Yeah, I'll tell you, I was a nun because of it. The music was great, it was fun, and They're just incredible. stay in your head.
7: Our play actually starts with the fact of that Debbie Reynolds movie, which, by the way, started with Greer Garson, Chad Everett, Ricardo Montalban, Agnes, Agnes Moorhead, Moorhead as yeah. a heterosexual nun. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) it's it's ridiculous. And it's the fact that that movie was lies. It was actually co-written by one of the heads of her convent as a tool to get other nuns in. It had nothing to do with a real singing nun's life.
0: All right. Before we talk a little bit further, why don't we uh, take a listen to a song. Andy. Yes. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the first song we're going to hear? Sure.
6: This is a song that Annie sings. Annie is Janine's girlhood friend. And... uh, they, they're obviously in love, but they can't sort of recognize what it is at that time. This is a song that Janine is about to go to the convent uh, to, to apply to be a uh, singing nun, and uh, Annie is saying goodbye to It's called I'll Follow You.
9: Meeting you was the best thing that will ever happen to me, Janine. And if we are separated, which we will be given the malevolent nature of fate, I will not rest until I find you again. I give you my word. I'll follow you From the mountains high To the valleys low Through hardest rain And through deepest snow My whole life through I'll follow you From Milan to Paris And back to Bruges By bus or taxi Or even Luge My vow is true I'll follow you.
4: Oh Annie, if that were only true, if one isn't extra careful, life can be so, so tragic and horrible. But whatever happens, I want you to remember
9: one thing. No matter the question or obstacle, God always comes through. I'll follow you. From the heights of Nice to the slums of Ghent. I'll wash your clothes and I'll pay your rents each time it's due.
0: It seemed like kind of an unusual pairing for a musical. I'm kind of wondering what the story is, how you guys got together for this project. Well, they contacted Blair, of course, wrote this, the play
6: about 13 years ago, the straight version of this. And uh, this is Andy talking. Our producers, George DeMarco and David Gerard, knew me and knew that I was in the musical theater, the BMI musical theater workshop. And they asked me if I knew anybody... In the workshop, who would be good for this? And I remembered seeing Blair, I was a fan of Blair's work from Burning Habits and from The Tragic and Horrible Life of the Singing Nun, which I saw at the Grove Street Playhouse 10 years ago, 11 years ago. And I loved it, so I never forwarded that email to anyone at BMI. <laughs> and I said I want the job, and boy, did they audition me! I think I had to write three, three different. They kept coming back.
7: Ah, oh, we want another song. Well, it was really Blair. It's, it's. I didn't trust someone this good-looking could actually. I'm serious. I just thought he's still way too much of a pretty guy to be able to um, write something as weird and edgy and brilliant and brilliant as actually he was, and he really is brilliant. It's you know how to write a tune, yeah. and it really takes the show to a new level I couldn't have even imagined. I mean, in the sense of getting the heart. Because it's a mean, nasty, hilarious telling of a horrible and tragic story, but there's so much love and heart in it. And I think we're finally really doing justice to this woman's memory. Well, and
6: I feel like that's my strength as a composer and lyricist, is heart. And I feel like Blair has such wit. And I, I have to make up for wit by supplying a lot of heart. And together,
7: I think we, we made this kind of it's a good pairing and yeah. then to fill us out is amazing director Michael Schirralli Schirralli <laughs> for you in Schirrally Italy Schirali in Italian and That's what happened good. there was the first person to play the the narrator was in, in the straight play version was a wonderful uh, drag performer named Coco Peru who's in the movie Trick she's been on Will and Grace and She recommended Michael. She also recommended our now, one of our leads, Christine Sabornick, And Christine recommended Michael. Varla Jean Merman recommended Michael. He comes amazingly recommended for someone that knows how to do this hilarious kind of show.
8: I'll say it's a very original thing, and there's no soft-pedaling at all on it. You know, what was great about The Real Singing Nun is she never lost her faith. And it's Mm. easy to to look at things like this and then say, well, I hate the Catholic Church or I hate God or whatever. The people who can maintain that sort of appreciation and belief, even in the doom and tragic and horrible existence, to me is someone with a real understanding of what faith is. And, And I was lucky enough to be raised in a household where spirituality always trumped mm. what the priest was telling you or what a nun was telling you because, you know, the true message of spirituality goes beyond that. And I that's why I'm proud to be a part of this as well. And it'd be very easy to make fun of it.
7: Right, right. It's it's much more complicated. Uh, yeah. than so this. I think everybody's got to come to the She was a Catholic to the end. Yeah. And, and, but in the sense of the beautiful aspect of the spirituality related to Catholicism, which is, you know, that love of God and that belief in God, that separate from what her convent, specifically her convent, did to her, which was... Ultimately miserable, murderous, <laughs> horrible. In fact, they they long got long all the money and yet she was held responsible for the taxes and they refused and to nobody help. Nobody helped her for around. the taxes. And and
8: how and how poignant and, and and timely is it when we're living in a time where you know the rules uh, seem to take precedence over over the message.
7: Right. All right. And also the, place, the the hypocrisy of of uh, a church that is filled with gay and lesbian people and their attitude towards gay and lesbian people. And here was one of their their greatest, uh, you know, singers who was a lesbian. Who unfortunately was never able to admit that because she thought she would even be more, you know, brought down because of it, but ultimately did admit in her journals that she loved this woman that she lived with for 30 years. But despite all this talk, it's it's really hilarious. It's hilarious.
8: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it is. is. It really is. You kind of get that from the title, so I think it was important we just explain that. It's a little, you know, more than that. But it is brilliantly hilarious. There are some amazing, talented people involved. Oh, my God. Christine Zabornik, Laura Tracy Daniel, Gilbert, Tracy Gilbert, uh, Michael. Randy Blair. Randy Blair. Eileen, Blair Stevens,
7: Eileen Stevens. I mean, these are like. And Michael. Michael uh, Hunsaker, um, Ma- Yeah, who's, Michael who's
8: unbelievably good looking, killer singer, hilarious guy. Shirtless. We have, um, we have Tony who nominated Bobby Pierce doing the costumes. Who did ta- um, Taboo. Who did Taboo. I mean, he's a brilliant old friend of mine, too, and a genius creator. It's sort of like everybody was pulled together and it was meant to be in a weird way. And we're really, really psyched to be doing this. It's going to be a blast. Yeah. And you know what? Can I also say, as far as these festivals go, we, we're really trying to push it to production as much as possible. I mean, and that's why I'm so thrilled that we have the creative team and the people on board that we have. Because we're going to have... give a full-out show. That's you know? such
6: great attitude, all of them. Yeah,
8: everybody wants to be a part of it. Everybody's, you know, pulling out anything they can pull out to be a part of the thing. And, you know, that's my favorite kind of mm. show to work on when it's true collaboration. And everybody's given more than they need to, but they want to. And there's nothing better than that. Yeah, I have it's exciting. To it's exciting. So we need everybody to come out and see this thing. Because I missed the first time you did it 13 years ago when it was a straight play. And... I would highly recommend everybody comes out and see it. At St. Clement's, right? At St. Clement's? Which is pers- St. perfect because it church. was a church, and now September we're doing a
6: show. September 14th to the 22nd. Well, we're yes. going to play one more song from the show. Uh, but. <laughs> this next song is called uh, Superior. What's happening in the show is that Janine, the singing nun, has arrived at the convent. Uh, she is just applying to be a singing nun, and she's wondering when she's going to meet Mother Superior. And here she comes, Mother Helen Lawson, and this is the song. Hey, thanks for coming. Thank, Thank you. you.
10: The sisters call me Mother Helen. They call me other names as well. Well, they can call me what they want to. Because I have all the power and they can go to hell. Yes, I'm superior. My title's large. Announcing to the world that I'm the one who's in charge. While all the other nuns here are inferior. Um, I'm superior excuse me mother helen this is our new postulant, Janine I mean sister Luke Gabriel pleased to meet you mother Helen I don't take sass from any sister I don't take mouth from any monk and I will bitch slap any bishop don't mess with Mama Helen you red rope little punk because I'm superior Yes, I'm Top Gun! As anyone can see, I'm not your average nun. Just take a look at my gorgeous exterior. I'm superior. Reverend Mother, it's such a pleasure to meet you. It's such a— Forget Four Eyes, this ain't a duet. So you sing, do you?
11: Yes, a little.
4: I'd be happy to sing the Kyrie at Mass this Sunday. (gasps)
10: What was that? She said that- I heard what she said. So you got your eye on the Kyrie, huh? Well, I- Look here, sister. Nobody sings the Kyrie in Mother Helen Lawson's convent except for Mother Helen Lawson. Got me! Uh... Don't try to move in on my solo. Don't try to slide into my pew. You try to act all sweet and humble, but I know what you're up to. Yes, I can see right through, cause I'm superior. I've seen your kind. You plan to stick your nose six inches up my behind. Well, just forget any motives, ulterior. I'm superior. Well, you've heard of Mother Hubbard. You heard of Mother Earth. You heard of Mother Mary and birth. You've heard of Mother Nature, Mother Courage, Mother Goose. Now meet the biggest brother I can ever introduce. Yes, I'm superior. I run these halls. I've even got the Vatican in Rome by the balls. So when I enter this convent's interior, you better put on a smile that is cheerier. And then rise up off your porky posterior. Cause I'm superior!
0: Well, I'm sitting here with the producer and composer of the new musical Magpie, which is...
12: It's a staged reading, a very, very um, produced staged reading, I should say, with an 11-person cast and a four-person band.
13: Well, why don't you guys introduce yourselves really quick?
12: I'm Donna Trinkoff. I'm the producing artistic director of Amos Musical Theatre.
13: And I'm Gary William Friedman. Uh, I'm the composer. Donna, why don't you tell us a little bit about what happens
0: in uh, the musical Magpie?
12: Magpie is the story of a 19-year-old girl named Maggie, who is emotionally challenged, we'll say. She grew up with certain challenges, and she has some capabilities, but can't really function as a normal person does, though she has a wonderful, wonderful presence and personality. And she's working as a bicycle messenger, but she can't ride a bike. So she works as a footer. She takes her responsibilities very uh, seriously. And she meets a boy who becomes a bike messenger named Tino, who's also a troubled boy. And they become attracted to each other and become involved. And it's the story of this relationship and how it impacts their families. And the rest of the bike messengers.
0: Well, Gary, do you want to? We're going to play a song from the show here. Uh, would you like to tell us about this first song we're going to play?
13: Well, the first song, actually, what it does, it it gives a feeling of exactly what the show is about. It, it, and I think that's uh, the responsibility of the opening number. It gives a feeling of, as I say, what the show is about, what it sounds like, uh, what we're in for for this evening, and. Um, I wanted to create a whole, how would I say, montage of um, Latino music, uh, contemporary pop rock, etc., and, and at the same time, a certain darkness or, or, or something that's this show is going to be something very special and very interesting.
0: Alright, well here's the opening Maggie's theme.
11: On my bike, doing tricks on wheels, back and forth like an acrobat feels. Round and round on my own carousel Circling the ground Oops, I fell I can't do things right Although I try I wish I had wings so I could fly Birds sing so sweetly and never cry Why can't I be like them? Why?
2: Oyeme! Bruta! Loca! Retarda! You're retarded, you know that? Look at you, you're so stupid! So stupid, you can't even ride a bike! Now get out of here! Go! Oh, Get out of here! What are you waiting for?
3: And you're too much of an idiot to know that you're only good
2: for one thing. Mama! Ain't nobody gonna help you. No one's gonna
3: catch you when you fall.
2: Nobody,
3: nobody cares about a dummy! Nobody! Nobody, nobody at all! The
5: four and the
4: five train and all on the east side, four and five express. Six is a local.
2: Don't so, look you, you're damaged girl. No otra niña. Passate, pasaste. tú eres fruta. Slow and twisted, crazy, crazy, retard, twisted, crazy slow, You're only there for free show.
9: dream, little girl hold your head up, mommy's here,
1: think of the music that you love, if I gave people presents, think of the music that we share, oh, no special little girl days. don't be frightened, let the fear just disappear, I wonder, little girl, my special angel, mommy's here.
5: Light as air, fly everywhere, yet no one. Can...
2: Only good for one thing Logo crazy only good for one thing Logo crazy
5: only good for one thing you're only hey, really good hey, yeah, you're only really hey,
13: yeah, good for one thing Maggie get up it's time to go to work <sound>
0: Gary, in addition to Magpie, you've worked for a long time in musical theater. And have a very long time. <laughs> and yes. have a
13: quite impressive <laughs> resume. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> Would you like to tell us a little bit about some of the other works you've done? Well, now, uh, you know, there's this, the Civil War, and... and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was fighting for the North. And uh, (laughs) And the song came to your head. (laughs) Yes. The music (laughs) came to me, and it was very interesting. Anyway, no, it's not really that long ago. Uh, Yes, the Me Nobody Knows uh, was my first foray into the theater, and uh, amazingly, it was a thank goodness, a great success. Yeah,
0: that's a uh, great first entry.
13: It, 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 well, it was a magical entry, and uh, I was actually a school teacher when, when the show opened. I was teaching math and science in Bedford-Stuyvesant in Brooklyn, which is a no mean feat, you know. <laughs> anyway, so that got me attracted to uh, the whole concept of quote-unquote ghetto uh, music and, and young people and the excitement uh, and the minds of these people and the way they think, the the artistry, the poetic aspects of it. And I set it to music and that's uh, became The Me Nobody Knows. And uh, that led to a whole career in, in the theater. Of course I was, uh, I don't want to say of course, but I was a so-called classical composer. I had studied classical music, went to uh, Brooklyn College, uh, then Columbia University, studied privately with the uh, different composers, et cetera. So I was writing, at the same time, uh, concertos and, and operas, et cetera, et cetera. And one thing led to another, that was the me nobody knows, and then I went on and, into the theater.
0: What drew you to Magpie as a show?
13: Well, as uh, they used to say, it was a, the first thing it was the phone call. <laughs> <laughs> and, that's, and once you got that phone call, it wasn't exactly a phone call, I must say, it was Steve Jacobson, who, with whom I was working on another show prior to Magpie. Uh, it was about guts and Borgland the man who sculpted Mount Rushmore. So we had done that show, and then Steve knew a young woman who was the prototype for Magpie. This this person actually exists. And he said, Gary, I want to write a a show with you, me, uh, about a woman who is uh, emotionally challenged, a young woman. And that was sort of fascinating to me. And the kicker was that the inner world of this young woman is opera. She relates to opera and that did it so i felt well okay in in reality when she speaks she speaks like quote unquote a troubled woman but in her mind she has the fantasies and and the the beauty of opera so that was fascinating to me and that's that's what really got me into it
12: and that's one of the things that makes what attracted me to the piece too is the score that gary wrote is so eclectic and 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 wonderful because it, it incorporates the classical operatic themes that you know are involved in her imagination, and also has all of this Latin kind of city flavor.
13: Well, it's great for me because as a kid, I was a saxophone player, actually a jazz musician, and and I played at the uh, in the Catskill Mountains, and I played with all these Latin bands. For some reason, uh, the Catskill Mountains was a uh, fountain of music. It was just things just flowed from that, and it was Latin. The, the Machito, uh, Tito Puente, all those great icons of Latin music music. Uh, I was exposed to, in fact, I played with the Latin bands as a saxophone player, and I did my first arrangements with with the Latin Latin guys. So my whole background, in addition to jazz and classical music, was very street Latin.
0: Earlier, Donna told us what happens in Magpie, and uh, why don't you tell us what you feel it's about? I know you said that you feel there's a difference. Yes,
13: uh, well, thank you for saying that. I, yes, I always say to people, there's what happens during a show, and then what is the show about? It, what I think the show is about is it's about... the the never ending uh, need for people to have this experience called love to share love and hope and know that there is a future and that even though we have certain things that will keep us from maybe attaining that future or people and elements in life getting in the way of us achieving that the force of love is so great that that's what is going to win out in the end
12: Nicely put.
0: Now, you mentioned a couple times, Donna, that you're with the um, Amas musicals.
12: Amas musical theater, and, and, and I love that Gary just said that it's about the power of love, because Amas means you love in Latin. Our, our theater is, is devoted to bringing diversity and multi-ethnic casting to the theater and exploring, you know, the theme of, of what it is to be the other as well, which is why I was also attracted to the story of Magpie,
0: and you do a lot of work developing original musicals. Right?
12: Yeah, we do. We have actually we developed a show called Shout the Mod Musical that's running off Broadway right now. With all the tunes of Lulu and Petula Clark and Dusty Springfield. It's a great show, and uh, we have a we have a whole number of new musicals in the Pike as well.
0: Well, we got limited time on this show, but I'd love to bring you back here another time. I'd and love to chat come back a lot about your company. Thank you. Donna, also, what are the show dates for uh, this reading?
12: Magpie is going to be presented on September 27th at 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock and September 28th at 6 o'clock. We're going to be at the TBG Theater at 312 West 36th Street.
0: Well, I'd like to thank the two of you so much for coming down and chatting with us here at Broadway Bullet today.
12: Thanks for having us.
0: We're going to play a second song from the show. So, Gary, do you want to tell us a little bit about the second one? Sure,
13: very quickly. I will do that. It's 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 called uh, Santiago, and and one of the uh, people in the show, one of the characters, is the fellow, uh, the man who who runs the service, uh, the company that the two people work for, the messenger place. The difference between the first reading and this reading is that this. Character has grown enormously, and one of the questions was who is this man and what is his backstory. So we we pondered that for several weeks, and and we came up with the song, and it gave us an opportunity to look into the past of this man and what motivates him, and this is what this song's about.
0: All right, well let's take a listen to No One Had a Clue in Santiago from Magpie.
2: A fight in a bar, a bottle gets broken, a knife. Appears from nowhere Jagged slices and stabs Only violence spoken Ending my youth Through a dying man's stare No one had a clue In San Diego That I was not your ordinary guy And while they made their souvenirs and trinkets I was making plans to say goodbye A name is changed, a good friend confirms it, he's willing to sponsor your flight. A new world begins, a green card affirms it, erasing the night of that long-ago fight. No one had a clue in Santiago that I would be the one who would succeed. They sang their praises to the sunshine. I learned how to get just what I need. Common work for me.
0: We started this podcast just a little bit late to get real in depth coverage of the New York Fringe Festival, but rest assured, next year we will be covering In Force. But we do have at least a report from Manox following this scene from one of the popular shows from the festival, In
14: Transit. Having fun, Katrinka? Not really. Good, so uh, what do you think? Should I take the friggin' DA's plea offer and rat out my business partners? I'll still have to go to jail, but not for so long. Yo, Katrinka! Shh.
15: It is hard for me to hear, ever since you gave me that ear infection. I'm
14: asking you whether you think I should squeal my friends.
15: Go screw yourself sideways. Okay,
14: are you upset about something specific, or did you just skip a Botox injection? You
15: lied to me, Thompson. You promised to take me on cruise today, and you lied. I
14: said I would take you on a boat. And you're on a boat. So shut up and enjoy a little friggin' nature.
15: For your information, ass wife, this thing is not a boat. It is a dinky. Dinky, like your tiny little droopy little... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The
14: word is dingy, genius. Dingy. Friggin' foreigners. You are a liar and a cheap (sighs) How many times do I have to explain this? Every penny that didn't get seized by the government is going into the pockets of my legal team. Poor
15: Thompson. All you have is the money that you hide away in your Swiss bank account. Hide away from me. Hey,
14: ixnay on the Swiss bank account, say. You know I can't get at that until this blows over. I'm not buying Katrinka, and you're my girlfriend. Don't you care? Or are you too coked up to comprehend No,
15: my nose is clean of cocaine, Thompson. I'm working the 12 steps. But if I have any trouble comprehending you, perhaps it is because of the herpes on my eardrum, you perverted, miserly little deviant.
14: You know what? This sucks. Maybe we should start seeing other people.
15: Start seeing other people? I never stopped. Oh, uh, oh. Uh. Are you crying now, Thompson? You little baby. You've been seeing other people. After all, I paid for your new boobs. Katrinka's bosom is like this rental boat. You can pay to ride it, but you don't get to own it.
14: (laughs) Well, that's just great. Now I have nothing left. Not even arm candy.
15: I think I qualify as more than candy. I am at least creme brulee.
14: Come on, Katrinka. This is serious. I'm having a moral dilemma here. Get over yourself. What moral dilemma? You know you did it. Yeah, but shouldn't loyalty count for something?
15: Loyalty? To who?
14: To my friends, to all my friends.
15: But, Thompson, you hate everybody. I
14: know, but why don't they return my calls?
15: Thompson, listen to me before you give me my grip. Cop a plea. Spill your guts. Tell all. Then, write a bestseller. And come out of jail rich and famous. People will like you again. You just stole some money. It's not like you got fat.
14: Write a book? I could hire a guy to do that.
15: Dibs on playing myself in the Lifetime movie. Yes. Yes,
14: I can do this, Katrinka. You are a genius.
15: And so incredibly hot.
14: Marry me. What? I'm going to the big house. I'll need to have you on the outside reminding me who I am.
15: Can I do that from Saint-Tropez? You're going to France? If you buy me a ticket. You're a model. Don't you have any money? I spent it all on cocaine. I may need more steps than twelve.
14: Let's make a deal. Marry me, stand by me, through my testimony, and I'll buy you that ticket. But you have to wait until the trial is over to go.
15: I don't know. Do I get the Lexus while you're in the jail? Yeah. In the Park Avenue penthouse? Yeah. And can I still sleep with rappers?
14: I'll probably be doing the same thing in prison.
15: Well, what the heck? It is better than a poke in the ear with a sharp... Oh, wait. No, it isn't. Thanks, babe.
16: You're all heart. Hey, Broadway Bullet listeners. Minox here from Minox Music Mix, giving you a special report of the International Fringe Festival. This somewhat underground theater festival is in its 10th year in New York City and it is the largest theater festival in North America. This year the festival was the largest ever with more than 1300 performances by 216 of the world's best emerging theater companies in 20 theaters in lower Manhattan. Shows represent 11 countries and 20 U.S. states. The French has been a launching pad for numerous shows including Tony winner, Urinetown, Matt and Ben, Dog Sees God and Debbie Does Dallas. Over the past week, I checked out 13 shows including comedies, musicals, and dramas, and I must say there was a great variety of talent out there. My top musical pick was Only a Lad, a new musical comedy featuring songs of the 80's rock band Oingo Boingo. Written by Andrew Loschert and directed by Rob Seidelman, the story takes an interesting spin on the good guys and the bad guys. Here Johnny, a punk teenager living in 1984 America and his punk friends, become the protagonists while the high school jocks are portrayed as the enemy. The ensemble songs and dance numbers like Wild Sex and Only a Lad, choreographed by Jason Summers, were well staged and provided good momentum to push the narrative forward. Johnny and his punk group, played by Barrett Hall, Joey Calvary, Jenny Weaver and Eric Shelley, and Catholic School Comedic Support from Tessa Faye were all standout performances. www.onlyaladmusical.com for more information. Another comedy that I truly enjoyed was Hermanas, the story about Jewish-Mexican-American sisters living in Texas. I could honestly see this one becoming a sitcom on a major network. Written by Monica Yudovich, who also stars as the more studious sister Lisette has performed her own solo material and her writing has appeared in the New York Times. The script was on point and the comedy kept coming with a strong ensemble cast and standout performances from Catherine Cates, who plays the mother of all Madres, and also the Bob lady from TV's Seinfeld. Paolo Ondino, who plays the self-absorbed boyfriend, was also a standout actor in this play, and perhaps my favorite character in this year's Fringe Festival was Bridget Maloney's portrayal of Angie the overaggressive roommate who uses the Irman sisters' drama as fodder for her psychology studies. Maloney's lines were totally written for her for a reason, to break up any sudden dramatic moments or silences, but her delivery and socially awkward mannerisms were completely hilarious. You can go to irmanastheplay.com and August 27th is the final performance of this show. There were two one-person plays that I saw that I should definitely note. The first has a title that is totally not politically correct, But that's the point, and it gets noticed. Every Nigger is a Star is the title of the one-man show that just had an eight-week sold-out run in Los Angeles. Jamal McNeil directs writer and performer Mario Burrell, known for his portrayal of Tom Collins in Rent, and takes the audience through a semi-autobiographical journey of eight characters in his life, including his father, who was the first black publicist in Hollywood. The performance is comical, entertaining, and tragic at the same time, but triumphs in the end with Burrell's realization that you don't have to allow your skin color to define who you are. You can define your own identity. The performance was powerful, and Burrell included some singing in the performance. www.everyniggerisastar.com The other one-person show I was shocked by was Oblivious to Everyone, written and performed by Jessica Lynn Johnson. Next week, Jessica is going to be in the studio for our next show, and she's going to give a snippet from this performance. Fallen Angel is a rock opera musical, and I actually saw it three years ago, and it was a treat for me to see it much improved. The play is performed in the tradition of Tommy and Jesus Christ Superstar, but my take on it is a cross between Godspell and Rent with a spiritual rock gospel element. What book writer and lyricist Justin Murphy and composer Roger Butterly succeeded doing is offering memorable songs that run through the show as a theme and keep you humming the tune as you're walking out of the theater. Murphy and Butterly have done this with the songs God Moves, Our Voices Rise With You, I Believe, and Holy, Holy, Holy. And they've got an ensemble of powerhouse vocalists. www.fallenangelmusical.com I also had a chance to see Happy Sauce, a comedy about a condiment and the man who becomes famous from its creation after realizing that his sauce is killing people. Hugging the Shoulder, a drama about a young man who kidnaps his heroin addict brother, for a road trip across the country with lots of twists and turns. The Kitchen Sink, a comedy about four female roommates during their senior year of college as they figure out the true meaning of friendship through their tales of sex, life's frustrations, and the next stage in their lives. Tradition, a musical comedy love story about a theater in the rural Midwest attempting to put on a performance of Fiddler on the Roof. The Yellow Wallpaper, a drama based on the 100-year-old Charlotte Perkins Gilman story about depression. It's a hit, a murder mystery musical within a musical, and finally, Breathe or You Can Die, a one-woman clown act with physical comedy about dating and corporate America with a twist of Lucille Ball and Andy Kaufman. For more information on any of the plays I mentioned or any of the shows in this year's Fringe Festival, please visit www.fringenyc.org. You can also check out my show, Minox Music Mix, at www.monoxmusic.com. Before I close out, I wanted to mention my very favorite pick this year at the Fringe Festival. It's called In Transit, and it's a comedy about 13 characters thrown together aboard seven modes of New York public transportation. Not only was the writing impeccable, but the ensemble cast suited their roles, and their physical comedy was right on. Playwright Matt Hoverman has taken a subject that stresses most New Yorkers out, and he's brought out the simple concept that no matter how crazy things get on the subway, or in a car, or in a Central Park rowboat for that matter, we should all appreciate our lives and be happy that we're getting there, where we need to go, safe and sound. There were two scenes that deserve some praise. The first was with DeBargo Sanyal, who plays a New York City cabbie named Mo, and Tina Johnson, who plays Joyce, a Red State TV evangelist watching Looney that involves the hardworking cab driver in her plan to hijack a plane. The other standout scene you actually heard at the beginning of this segment. I'll set the scene. Katrinka, played by Irene Walsh, and Thompson, played by Stephen McElroy, are on a Central Park rowboat, but the conversation is anything but romantic. Please visit www.intransittheplay.com for more information. Now Michael Gilbo is going to interview the actors, Irene Walsh, who plays Katrinka, and Stephen McElroy, who plays Thompson, in their characters. Katrinka and Thompson, the two of you are truly despicable people, and
0: we figured that you needed to answer to the Broadway Bullet audience a little bit about your actions so, Katrinka, how do you feel, as the wife of a convicted executive, about the fact that your husband may be single-handedly responsible for destroying the lives of hundreds of Americans and their families?
15: He has taken me to Saint-Tropez, right? You know, Anybody would want to go if they were me, so I'm going.
0: Are you prepared to make any kind of financial sacrifices? Are you prepared to make any now that your husband has decided to come clean about stealing other people's pensions?
15: You have no idea. Do you realize
0: that you could both go bankrupt?
15: You have no idea how many financial uh, sacrifices I have already made, so you're asking me if I'm prepared? No one is ever prepared to make financial sacrifices, but you know, I have already, so don't even go there.
14: Thompson, how are you going to turn your life around now that you've hit bottom? So a guy like me, who's good with numbers? That's, f- that's my service to society, essentially, is that I'm, I'm, I'm providing that service in a variety of ways, you know.
15: Thompson's very good with number, especially number one. Mm-hmm.
14: Number one. Right. <laughs> I get that. It is well
0: known that you're struggling with a deadly drug habit. Is this healthy?
15: You know, I think role models are made because people need them to be role models. So if people want to choose me as role model, I'd be very flattered. But right now, I'm just struggling with my own, you know, my own journey with the cocaine. Um, it's a very hard struggle. Anybody who's done cocaine knows how much fun it is and, um, you know, what a bitch it is to get off of cocaine. I'm sorry, what a very hard journey it is to get off of cocaine, you know. And it has, you know, a lot of things to go with it, you know, the soul socializing the traps and everything so um you know but if people want to see me as role model i I would be flattered
0: yeah okay yeah i'm sure a lot of parents would be real thrilled about that thompson you are most likely going to be sentenced to a prison for just a short term unfortunately probably two to five years based on how the other trials are going do you think your marriage can survive this while you're away
14: uh, you know, Katrinka has a lot of freedom in this relationship. So yeah, yeah I think the well, photographs in the tabloid have proved that. Yes, exactly. Well, I mean, I'll be totally happy about that. I mean, if she's not completely consumed by drugs the whole time I'm in there, then I think we'll be all right. You know, the cocaine thing is a bit of a is a bit of an issue because it's expensive, for one thing.
15: It's only so an issue if you make it an issue. Yeah, don't right. get Listen, on my case, not, okay? Get not off not my go back,
14: there because I don't want to get into this. You know, I already Maybe got a monkey on my back. Don't yeah, need you. Yeah, okay. Well, exactly. She's probably coked up right now, actually. But in any oh. case, we're working on that. I am not coked up right you now. You are coked up right now? That's I am not coked up right
15: now. I came now. here sober today to be here for you, so you know.
14: Okay, whatever. In any case, we'll make it. Clearly, you can see we have a very. Honest relationship. Now,
15: we have good marriage. Anybody who's listening can hear that. Yeah.
0: Uh, Oh, yeah. I'm sure Bush and the southern states would be thrilled.
15: Well, you know, some people, they keep everything inside. We talk about everything. That's right. Let
14: it out. That's what I say. It's good for us. You
15: deal with it. You put it out on the table, and you deal with it. That's how good marriage works.
0: All right. Well, I I see you've got your head screwed on slightly sideways, but I think the listeners at Broadway Bullet get a good picture of what you're all about. So uh, all we can hope is that you'll be back in New York, so that everybody can get a chance to see exactly why the two of you tick and in transit. Yeah.
15: Thank you. I hope they we come have. to see. Yeah, yeah we have
14: happy to be back.
15: Everybody, come see to come to see the show. Come to talk to me afterwards. I would love to meet you.
0: Yeah, you'd yeah, like to meet about them. everybody. There's a lot of different types of shows going on at the New York Musical Theater Festival, as I'm constantly saying. And in this instance, we have a one-person show with Darius Haas and he is here to talk about the show. How Hello. you doing?
17: How are you doing?
0: It's crazy. <laughs> so many shows.
17: So many shows, so little time.
0: Yeah. Now, as I understand, this one-person show that you're performing uh, was actually written for you. Yes. So did you actually approach the composers, or did they approach you, or how does that work? It get was what? kind
17: of a mutual thing. Uh, I was originally com- uh, approached by the composer, Michael Wartofsky, to sing music that he had written back in New York, and then... I could not do that, but then I met him in Boston, and I had been talking about how uh, there wasn't any piece for young gay black men or just gay black individuals that, you know, something that talked to them. And he said, well, I'll write something. And so it was sort of a mutual thing. And uh, he started it out as a song cycle, and then it just turned into this one-man musical extravaganza. How did he deal with the fact that you were black? Oh, he had a very hard time with it, and I had to beat him down. No, no, no. He he's very open, and the great thing about him is he loves funk. He's a big fan of Shaka Khan and all that stuff. So we had a lot we could talk about because I'm a Shaka Khan freak, and and so he would write things and I'd be like, "Oh yeah, that's got a nice thing. That's got a nice thing." And then he writes beautiful tender pop songs, and he also is a great musical theater writer. So I consider myself very, very lucky. And so, what is kind of the concept of the show? The concept of the show evolved out of my admiration for I Am My Own Wife, the one-man play starring Jefferson Mays that was such a sensation on Off-Broadway and Broadway a couple of seasons ago. And I said, ooh, I would really love to do that, having no idea whether I could or not. Only I would like to do it as a musical, you know, have a one-man musical Uh, original story and just become all these different characters and so that's what Michael and our wonderful librettist uh, Thomas DeFrance came up with and I'm playing these seven I believe six or seven different characters various ages and genders and (laughs) and, uh, it's a trip. I've never done anything like it before and it's alternately freeing and uh, terrifying.
0: (laughs) Is there kind of a specific plot to this or is it more freeform still like a song cycle?
17: There is a plot to it. The basic plot of it, uh, succinctly put, is about Drew, who is the main character, and he's Looking for love. That's, that's the main gist of it. He's a Midwestern kid who uh, is studying law, uh, who uh, felt a little bit caged in in his hometown, and he goes to New York, the Big Apple, to seek his fortune and to find love and to live life full and be this gay, proud, young black man, and he's just not getting it right. And it isn't until he has an incident that hit, hits close to home that he has to reassess how he's going about doing things.
0: <laughs> well, we're going to play one of the songs here from the show. Uh, first, you want to tell us a little bit about it?
17: Yes. I believe the song you're going to play is Real Thing. And this is after he has found a guy. Like I said, Drew is a, wants to be a lawyer. And he has found this guy who has, uh, is a partner. At a firm. So, of course, he's really turned on by that because that's what he aspires to be. And this guy is really into him. All right, well, let's take a listen. <laughs> <laughs> Granny,
3: I never lived with a boyfriend before. Could he be the one? I'll show you, Jake. You better be prepared for Drew Durango. I'm gonna buy you golden couplings and a silver comb. I picked out our friendship ring Gonna make my house feel like a sacred home And I'll keep them safe To the loyalty I bring. he got me here. Whip, straight up, freaky deep. <laughs> I'd do anything for him. I would have changed my temp job
17: to work nights so my days could be free for him. Jake, you want to come by after work? Go out to a club? I, I love afternoon delight, but wait till you try the overnight something something in the morning special. Uh, I, I, I. Listen, Jake, I, I know you've got other stuff going on and all. I, I know. What? Down low. I, I know what the down low is, I know. That means you've got a woman. Come by tomorrow after your lunch meeting. I'll get you back to the office, refreshed. <laughs>
3: When I know you're wrong I'll defend you with my stain Beyond a doubt I'll lie to pain
0: Darius, you've done a lot of big shows, yes. haven't you? What's some of the shows you've done?
17: I did Kiss of the Spider-Woman with Cheetah Rivera and Vanessa Williams. I did the revival of Carousel at Lincoln Center. I did Rent. I was uh, part of the original Broadway company of Rent. Yeah, a lot of shows.
0: Now, when you're moving from some of these more traditional Broadway shows that you've done so many of, what do you find the challenges are as an actor moving to something like this one-person
17: show? Well, you're up there by yourself. That's one of the biggest challenges. I, I really, as an actor, do enjoy the interaction of other people. Because I also do concerts. Uh, uh, you know, I'm I'm used to being able to have to be on stage with. Uh, musicians but sort of sort of standing out there and communicating different songs from different points of view but it is a little isolating but that said I think if it is a piece that really is connected where you know you really have a good dialogue going even if it is a dialogue that you're perpetuating between two characters and it's just yourself once you get the rhythm of that it's it's, it's great. Now who's the director for the show? My dear friend Shelly Williams who I went to school with many years ago, and she has de- is developing into an incredible, incredible director with an incredible eye.
0: What are the dates you're playing?
17: We are the last week of September. It's September 26th through the 30th.
0: Now, I, I want to thank you for coming down as you're getting ready for the show. Thank you. We're going to play another song now. Do you want to take a second to talk a little bit about
17: that one yes now this is the title song of the show man in my head and I think this is the reprise where drew the main character has come to uh, a realization about how he's been doing things and how he needs to change things in his life in order to grow and progress so this is comes at a very climactic point in the show
0: all right well let's listen the
3: search is long
17: There is no traveler's guide
3: An empty seat beside me I'm tired of traveling alone
17: Am I to blame? My heart bears gifts of sapphires
3: and pearls the world is full of takers and thieves they would feast on my flesh and leave my So I search for you, the man in my head. The search is long, I dare to conjure you with a spell, I say your name. No one else can reach me I'm yours to claim An imposter's disguise May charm and fool My heart for a while He wore your smile But he the man in my head. For you will smell like pine Your beer will feel like needles And you will taste like wine And when I drink can I smoke? We're all alone, me uh-huh. and the man in my head.
0: I'd like to take a moment to give thanks to a couple of stores in New York who are really helping in spreading the word on Broadway Bullet. The first is The Colony. They're located on 49th and Broadway, and it's a great resource for finding all of your musicals, cast albums, recordings, sheet music, even karaoke. Marty and his friendly staff are always willing to help, and they do also have a website that you can order from. That's colonymusic.com. We'd also like to thank the Drama Bookshop. They're located between 8th and 7th on 40th Street. They've got a great selection of books, plays, anything you're looking for that's a resource for theater goers. They also have a website and they ship internationally. That's www.dramabookshop.com. In fact, Alan is willing to put his staff's knowledge to the metal with our new contest, Stump the Staff. Here's how it works for all you theater buffs. You come up with the trivia question. You can go to broadwaybullet.com, click on the current podcast to go to the forums. You'll find a link where you can submit your trivia questions for the staff at the Drama Bookshop. Get your questions in by Thursday. The first ten questions will be entered into the contest. Here's how it works. The Drama Bookshop has from Thursday night until Tuesday to answer all the questions that you submit. If anybody stumps the staff, they get a $20 gift certificate to the Drama Bookshop that you can use from anywhere. Or if nobody stumps the staff, the last question they answer, the person who submitted that question wins the $20 gift certificate. So check out broadwaybullet.com and see if you can stump the staff or check to see the questions that other people submit. It'll be a lot of fun. Now let's get back to the show. The New York Musical Theater Festival has been expanding to not only producing original musicals, but they have concert series and special events, and we have two lovely young ladies who are performing with one here with us today. (laughs) How are you two doing?
11: We're great, how are you? Good.
0: (laughs) Why don't you introduce yourselves?
11: Hi, I'm Kate Reinders. And I'm Sarah Litzinger. And we're Tasty Skank. That's right.
0: <laughs> now, I understand, Tasty Skank is something new for you, right?
11: Yes, it is. Yes, it um, is.
18: We, we met, actually, a couple of years ago doing a theater festival, doing a show called Nerds. And um, we started writing together just for fun and, and to make each other laugh. Because we're
11: best friends. Yeah, and that's sort of how Tasty Skank was born. <laughs> <laughs> but we finally uh, brought it on out into the open just two Mondays ago, and we had our first show at Ars Nova.
0: Well, pleased to have you performing here in the studio live for us today.
11: Yes, Thanks we're exciting us. Really.
18: Yes.
0: Well, how would you describe your music as Tasty Skank?
18: Well, we've been told that it's sort of a combination
11: between Tenacious D and Indigo Girls, because. Uh, we're uh we blend and uh, you know it's nice pretty harmonies and yet it's uh it's a funny.
18: Little. <laughs> and a little and naughty. A little naughty.
5: <laughs>
0: <laughs> now you're performing with Ars Nova?
18: Yes. Yes, that's at five eleven West. 54th Street, and um, they're great because they do a lot of um, new artists and new works and developing new shows, and we're very lucky to be a part of it. Jason Egan um, is a good friend of ours, and um, we told him about some of our songs, and, and he he's encouraged the one who, us. Yeah, he's the one who
11: actually said, wait, no, you guys have to perform that. You have to make it a show. And we said, okay. If you want to. <laughs> and we're so glad because we're loving it. It's so
0: much fun. Now, they're doing a whole concert series with the New York Musical Theater Festival, right?
11: Yes, they and
18: hosting a number of, of different acts. Mm-hmm.
0: So, what is Ars Nova's uh, mission in the New York theater community?
18: Well, I think it's to start um, developing new pieces of theater um, and and bringing sort of like a downtown type edge to
11: Midtown. Yes, and to encourage new artists to, you know, <laughs> do their thing, even if it's not exactly mainstream. So they they're very diverse. I mean, it's very it's comedy, it's music, it's theater, it's they do, like, poetry, what, slam stuff, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't they know. They even
18: have, like, an act that has um, interpretive dancers. That, oh, right, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, I think it's called VIDS, Varsity Interpretive Dance Squad. Cool. Dicky's in that, yeah.
0: Most of your music, I understand, <laughs> is a little bit... Uh, to we tried to be PG-13 on this show. And, That's and, right. And we're going to have to clean up one of the songs for uh, your performance on this show.
11: <laughs> That's okay. We don't mind.
0: But we're going to also play you some of the stuff that we're recording live in the studio on next big hit new music mix. It'll be in volume 132, and we're going to have a little bit more of an interview with you on the B side of that, and a song on the A side, so... If people like what they hear coming up, they can uh, definitely go check out that show as well.
11: Excellent. Yes, great. Go listen to it.
0: When is your concert with Ars Nova in the New York Musical Theater Festival?
11: September 25th at 10, at 10 p.m. PM.
0: <laughs> you're used to singing and talking together, aren't
11: you? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> We're always in tune. We can't help it.
18: He's so in a pod.
0: What's his first song you're going to play for us?
11: We are going to do a song called I Heart Dirty Boys With No Money. And We do.
0: And who's the guitarist standing there in the corner?
11: John (laughs) Sperney. Our man.
0: All right. (laughs) We love him. All right. Well, make sure to enjoy Tasty Skank at Ars Nova and to check out more of their music world premiering in next big hit, new music mix.
11: Thanks.
4: I heart dirty boys with no money. Some people think it's funny, but I don't mind. I heart dirty boys with no money. Because a boy with no money is a friend of mine. So you're covered in tattoos wash your hair. You're always freaking booze, but I don't care. You give me some of lovin' in my easy-bake oven. And you always keep me coming, you always keep me coming, you always keep me coming. Coming, coming. I heart dirty boys with no money. Some people think it's funny, but I don't mind. I heart dirty boys with no money, cause a boy with no money's a friend. Mine. No mama does your laundry, no daddy pays your bills. You keep me in a quandary, or maybe it's the pills. You give me some loving in my easy way coming. And you always keep me coming, you always keep me coming, you always coming. We're of booze, but
0: the people involved with the musical Have a Nice Life, which is being workshopped at the New York Musical Theatre Festival. How's everybody doing?
9: Great, Good thank you.
0: Well, everybody want to take just a second to introduce yourselves? I'm Connor Mitchell, I'm the
19: composer and lyricist.
20: I'm Michelle Blakely and I play the role of Amy. I am
21: Emily Skinner and I play Jean. And I'm Kit plashkis and I'm one of the producers.
0: Alright, well Connor, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about the show? It is a new
19: musical based around a group therapy session, which is the frame of the show. I mean, the show originated in Ireland about four years ago because um, I had a couple of free months and there was, I rented a theatre to do... I wanted to write a musical. Um, and the theatre was called The Group Theatre and I had seven actors who wanted to do a show. So we thought, why not call the show Group? And call it Group the Group. Um, <laughs> and that became about group therapy. That theatre since closed and the musical became Have a Nice Life. <laughs> um, but that's how it started. But it's about a group therapy session that I've been meeting for several months and have reached a cellmate with each other and are threatened by the arrival of a new person. who has a secret agenda. And that starts the ball rolling. So that's what it's about.
0: Now, I understand you come from a classical composition background.
19: Yeah, I mean, I think musical theatre needs, you know, to I mean, to to be, to really respect the art form and stuff like that, you know what I mean? I like composers who come from classical backgrounds who are, you know, Just songwriters, but people that see music as an intellectual... This probably sounds extremely pretentious, you know, but an intellectual (laughs) art form. uh, And see the theatricality within music and, you know, use scores with hidden agendas and stuff and bring everything down to minutiae and tones. And that's sort of where I come from. Now, whether or not that works, I don't know. I like having a classical background, you know,
0: to bring that out. I understand there's a, a term for... What you are as a classical composer? Second Viennese. <laughs> what does that mean exactly? It means I
19: come from a lineage which starts with Arnold Schoenberg, so serialism and you know music that sounds—it's probably not the best advert, but music that sounds <laughs> bad, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, music that is uh, dissonant and says that you know the C majors and stuff are all over. But it's great now that we've sort of gone backwards and we're now looking at. You know tonality in a different way and playing mm. the thing a lot more Oh,
22: well, i was just wondering does that make you part of the li- lineage of vienna fingers
19: what's <laughs> Fingers. <laughs> <a> vienna finger <laughs> <laughs> well, do
20: you know, the interesting thing is your music doesn't sound at all dissonant to me you know it doesn't there's no there's none of that in there it's like you can listen to his music and hear who he's listened to musical theater wise you can mm. hear sondheim mm-hmm. you can hear candor and ebb and mm-hmm.
19: yeah i mean because this was the first show i ever wrote the music that I write now is very different to this show but the, I have a fondness for this score because it, it pays homage to a lot of you know the influences that I had growing up the dissonance is at such a deep level you know it's just hinted at it should feel that the floor could fall away at any moment in certain moments um, but you know I think you wrestle for years with dissonance and you want to write really edgy dissonant music but when you put it in front of an audience it doesn't have that in that you know something which is accessible you know embraces tonality and you know it works like there's a song in this called i'm not the failure of the marriages which i think has 10 key changes but you would never yeah. notice you know so you
22: stole that from barry manilow <laughs> 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 actually i think he only does one or two doesn't he
0: she's the smart ass of the cast isn't she uh
22: i hope your <laughs> emphasis on the smart not the
21: ass <laughs> But actually, Connor's music is very theatrical. I mean, he writes songs for actors. Mm-hmm. These are not just stand-up and belt-out-a-number songs. They all move the plot. Yeah, very story-driven, all... yes. Hey, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your roles in the show?
22: Um, well, I believe they're still being uh, fleshed out <laughs> We're on our fourth day today of rehearsals. <laughs> but uh, my role, Amy, um, is the catalyst. The uh, therapy group has been going for about... 24 sessions at this point, and they're kind of all at a stalemate. I come in and basically ruffle a lot of feathers because I bring in a whole bunch of new uh, Louis Vuitton baggage.
0: Okay, so that's what you're doing here. Exactly. I'm here to get in character.
22: Exactly. (laughs) Or as I like to say, caricature.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And Emily?
20: Uh, I play Jean, um, who is the the woman with anger management issues in the group, and... uh, I get to be a big, fat, nasty bitch to Amy. And I have to say, you do it very naturally. Thank you. Yeah. Thank
22: you.
0: you
20: <laughs> had a lot of practice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do you two know each other from before the show? Um,
22: no, I just happen to be a very big fan, so uh, this is a coup just to be able to uh, work in the same room oh, with her. Oh, just suck on up.
5: <laughs> <laughs> suck on up.
20: <laughs> is it working? It's working. <laughs> <laughs>
5: um,
20: yeah, it's interesting. It's very interesting sort of... Doing this piece and and the roles are so sort of interestingly fleshed out, um, and people with sort of really interesting issues and you know in my case sort of a very negative issue, I think are so interesting and so much more rich to play than than sort of people with no problems and no issues, Mm -hmm. you know. And and they don't write for
22: stereotypes. I mean, although there are very clearly defined characters, I believe that each one of them have a really complex uh, part to themselves that make the show very interesting.
0: The musicals is all takes place in a you know group therapy session. I'm taking that some <laughs> of the songs might go from beyond the boundaries of the room into their imaginary lives and into the the world outside of the room as well, am I?
19: Well, that's no, that's the big question. Um when does it escape into fantasy? And it, the show used to a lot more. You know, I, it never leaves the room. But when a character starts a song where they're describing something like there's a song called old-fashioned Romance, where one character wishes that we could go back in time, and have a very simple MGM sort of romance. The music reflects that in a very sort of... That would be the
20: mama's boy character. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
19: The music lets us escape into his imagination and shows us that he watches, you know, Busby Berkeley movies. But it must always be grounded in the reality of the moment, you know, that the therapist is watching this, that a character like Gene stands outside of that and comments on it. So actually... During numbers, although fantasy happens, the audience's eye will be with the one person who doesn't participate. Because mm-hmm. that will drive us on to the next number. So you're walking a tech group the whole time, you know, when are we in reality? When do people participate in another person's sentiment? Because as soon as one character joins in the chorus of another person's song, you're making a statement. You know, that they agree. That's hard when you have an ensemble piece because you you know, some people may not agree with what one person sings, but we want a big sound, you know? <laughs> so that's that's I love the little Sudoku puzzle that is the show. You know what yeah. I mean? Trying to make that mm. all work.
10: And it is a
20: Sudoku puzzle, isn't it? I mean, really, creating a, a new musical really is. People it's, don't yeah. don't realize how hard it is. And how many elements go into it? You know, it's not like writing a play or or writing something like that. There's so many so many people that yeah. have to all sort of.
0: I don't know who to it. attribute this quote to, but I know I've heard the, I've, I know I've heard this specific quote that there's so many ra- ways to get a musical wrong, and only one way to mm-hmm. get it right.
20: Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's depressing. But <laughs> okay.
0: No, um, we're going to play a song from the show here. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this song? Yeah, this is a song called uh, "Other Women,"
19: which is sung by Jean. Now, this is the a very old Irish recording, so this is not Emily and is the first sort of draft, so the lyrics have changed and stuff, but it's it's an, uh, I like this as a way into the show because this is really the first moment in the show where we go and we mainline, you know, into a character's real opinion. Everything before this moment is exposition and this is a reactive song where someone comments on somebody else, um, which is what group therapy is, you know, you relate and respond. The music is making you sympathise with a character that you shouldn't really,
15: really sympathise with. So you're torn.
19: (laughs) You know? If
15: it
4: wasn't for the female sex, well, there wouldn't be a word for X. Just a thought, just a thing I made up. But if women, with smiles and their coochie-coo Define coochie-coo She's talking about sex very aren't you? Very what? Bisque, it's French French for what? French for shut up! My point is that if it weren't for other women then there wouldn't be a problem with her I mean, I should know I've known enough of them Take my good friend Charlotte Good old friendly Charlotte Never would have crossed your mind Charlotte was a naughty kind Good old friendly Charlotte Plain old boring Charlotte But Charlotte had a plan And a nasty one She would get a plan And a tasty one Didn't matter where Not especially Charlotte didn't care Not particularly Well I was dating this guy called Bob Bob the slob Six foot tall and three foot wide A real catch Charlotte's my boss at work So I introduce her to Bob And we all go out for a drink One night after AA well, I was tired, so I left the two of them alone. After all, it was Charlotte. How i you to you
5: know she wasn't? Yeah. Say
4: it, boys. Hard. Next time I see Charlotte, she's dressed like a harlot. She could and dumps her job and runs away with Bob. Take my good friend Lillian. Lily, as she was known. Thief of Frederick, or Fred, as he was known. Lily was a friend I always thought that I could trust
0: You to the show as a producer?
21: <laughs> well, Connor and I have been friends for about eight years now. Um, and Since rehab. Doing <laughs> <laughs> rehab together. Betty Ford, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, I had seen this show about two years ago on the Fringe in London, and just loved it. It wasn't—it was a bit of a mess at this point. I, I'm, please forgive me for saying. <laughs> <So that. subtly. laughs>
5: um,
21: which is, but I wanted to do it, and so that's why we brought in the book writer Matthew Hurt. Uh, Matthew Hurt just won the Peggy Ramsey Award, which is sort of probably one of the most prestigious playwriting awards for up-and-coming playwrights in London. And so we put Matthew and Connor together, and luckily they liked each other. And Matthew has sort of taken these songs, which are incredible, and the idea that Connor had for group therapy, and really given it a sort of through line and structure. So that's that part of the story. But then, so I, I knew that I wanted to do this show, but I also knew that I wanted to really make it slightly more solid because an American audience. I mean, musicals are part of our lifeblood in this country mm-hmm. and they're not in England. So you can get away with a lot more in England and you can be a lot darker and quirkier and mm. not come up with quite so many answers. So I knew I wanted to do it here in New York because, you know, if you're going to do musical theatre, you should do it here in New York. I mean, this is where it exists, yeah sort
0: of how it happened does Connor and Matthew do you get into arguments about you're closer to Vienna than he is to the old globe
21: <laughs> or well it's weird Matthew, Matthew's
19: from South Africa and I'm from Northern Ireland so we both feel a bit colonial wow.
21: uh, yes, it's like the International feel. House of which pancakes. kind of works because I'm English so I yeah, dominate
19: right. <laughs> we remind them of the oppression of <laughs> the British Empire and
21: I feed them potatoes and you guys <laughs> have the right idea
19: by throwing them out but,
21: uh, <laughs> but it does mean because we have a playwright on board. It is almost rather than a, a book writer for a musical. I don't know if you feel this, but I feel almost like it's a play with music. Yes, that it is like it is a, a tapestry. It's just kind of interwoven. But, I mean, that's what that's what Sondheim writes. He
20: writes plays with music. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. he doesn't write music, John Lachiza, musicals. musicals exactly. you know. I'm getting
0: a good idea that there's a definite certain fan base. So I guess if you like, you know, Stephen Sondheim, uh, Michael you, John LaChiusa, and stuff, head you know to catch this show, it's. <laughs>
20: Yeah, it's very smart,
21: it's very human, it's very quick-witted. If you like that sort of
22: thing. (laughs) If you like that
21: sort of thing. (laughs) But it makes an audience think. I mean, you're kept on your toes throughout. It's almost like a snowball effect. Mm
5: -hmm. You know,
21: once it starts, it just keeps going and keeps pushing you and makes you actually sit up and pay attention. There are no comfortable moments where you can sit back and go, oh, now I've got, you know, the big belt song here. Well, it's funny because
19: um, I was wrestling with Emily the other day, and... um, there's such an American concept of, of clapping after musical theater numbers that um they it's not a
20: stupid sucking <laughs> concept. It's so <laughs> bad
19: concept. I've always I've always found it so weird. And, and it goes
20: against the goes against the idea of we're doing a play. Mm. Yeah, uh, play with music. You know,
19: it's just like you know in a Tom Stoppard after a monologue you yeah. don't <laughs> applaud. Yeah. and then um, Emily was sort of asked, you know, should we put a button on the end of it? And, you know, she sort of said no because that would interfere with the drama we have to go straight on, which you know is exactly the response you're looking for because it should just soldier on. And the one time in the show where we court applause from the audience is a song called Hate Mail, which has a clear, defined button at the end. And it's the one sentiment in the show, which is revenge. <laughs> it's like a horrible, <laughs> a never, horrible
20: sentiment. So the should never like, applaud. clap them. <laughs> but it that?
19: builds and we give it a big Broadway finish. And it's got a big A minor chord and a big finish and a big chord at the end.
20: I hope there's deafening, bewildering silence <laughs> at the end
19: of that. I know. But I, I just, if they applaud, it'd be brilliant. Because we've got them, you know. That's the one thing you should just... Oh, it's abhorrent, but... Um, all right, well, what dates can they catch
21: this? Uh, September the 11th through 17th, um, and we're at New World Stages. We are actually the show that opens the festival. We are the only show to perform on the 11th and the first show to perform in the festival. Does that
14: mean we get
20: a big party?
21: Yeah. <laughs> can we open the festival?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, definitely thank you for coming down, taking the time to talk with us and to our listeners on Broadway Bullet. We're going to play another song from your show, uh, would you like to take a moment to introduce this one quickly? This is called I'm Not the Failure, of The Marriage Is.
19: This is a different, more reflective style of soul. Um, if the score operates between high jazz, which is sort of bitter, and this is a reflective, insular lullaby. It's about a woman who can't have children, and it sounds like a little nursery rhyme. All right. Well, thanks for coming down again.
5: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: I'm not the failure, the marriage is... Nobody's fault, not mine, not his One more statistic to make the world go round All the same When you think of the problems we faced When you think, what a lie, what a waste You can't help Feeling cheated inside, feeling robbed. Feeling shit, but your pride makes you stay. And tell the world I'm not the failure, Their marriage is five years together and still no kids. No use residing for better or for worse when it's worse. There are times when i ask myself why did i look like an innocent bystander left with no idea without a clue without a hint of what was really me and you but i knew that they would say you're not the failure their marriage is don't get upset over men like him don't try to tell me This happens all the time. Cause it doesn't. I know what they say about me. Well, they were right. Look at me. Amy, Amy, say me little Amy. Everyone's looking at you.
4: You
1: should go home and just have a good phone About something that's nothing at all To do with the group The mistakes have been made long ago And there's nothing that I can repair So I have to just forget all the pain All the hate and regret and move on And tell the world I'm not the failure, their marriage is Nobody's fault, not mine, not his Just keep in mind that this happens all the time
0: Thanks for joining us for the second episode of Broadway Bullet. Remember, the New York Musical Theater Festival runs from September 10th through October 1st. Get your tickets soon because they sell out fast. You can visit nymf.org. You can also find out information about everybody we played at our website, broadwaybullet.com. This is just our second show, and this is all rather new, so I would definitely love to hear some feedback from our listeners. What are you guys liking most about the program? What do you guys like in the least? Is there something you'd like to hear more of? You know, let me know. You can drop me an email at BroadwayBullet at nextbighit.com, or you can just leave notes and discuss these issues in our forums by heading to BroadwayBullet.com and clicking on the Volume 2 podcast. Thanks for joining us. We will be back next Wednesday with a lot more great interviews and songs from the theater scene and the New York Musical Theater Festival. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and you've been listening to Broadway Bullet. So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc., to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews... You know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution.